humildade e honra que me dirijo a todos vocês como presidente do Brasil. On January the 1st, Jair Bolsonaro was inaugurated as Brazil's 38th president. The task ahead of him was a true Rubik's Cube, a polarized, deeply unequal country with a sluggish economy, infrastructure deficiencies, low education performance, and fallen investments. Bolsonaro rose from being a longtime backbencher to taking the highest office in the land by capitalizing on Brazilians' frustrations se libertar da inversão de valores, do gigantismo estatal e do politicamente correto. And gambling on an anti-establishment platform. One of his mottos was, more Brazil, less Brasilia. If that reminds you of Donald Trump's promise to drain the swamp, well, that's the intention. Now, One quarter of Bolsonaro's term is in the books. So how exactly has he fared so far? That's the question we will address this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Since re-election was introduced to Brazilian politics in 1997, every single incumbent successfully won a second term. So we know that analyzing a presidency after just one year is not a definitive judgment. If the stats are right, there's a lot more Bolsonaro to come. And very few presidents, if any, would have a stellar body of work to show for themselves after only one year in office. We know that, for better or worse, President Jair Bolsonaro's legacy is still in the making. Notwithstanding, we produced a free ebook dissecting his performance economically and politically over the past 12 months. You can download the ebook at Brazilian.report. And in this episode, we invited two experts, each to discuss one of these two domains. We start with Carlos Góes. He is the chief research officer at Instituto Mercado Popular, a São Paulo-based think tank. Previously, Carlos was a researcher for the International Monetary Fund. He is now finishing a PhD at the University of California in San Diego, and he also served as economic advisor for the Michel Temer administration. Carlos, thanks for joining us. When we headed into the runoff stage, it was clear that barring a catastrophe, It was Bolsonaro's election to lose. What did you expect from his presidency, economically speaking? Well, in a sense, it was a big question mark, right? Because if you think about it, uh, Bolsonaro was traditionally a uh, right-wing nationalist, as many right-wing nationalists that took power over the past years. So uh, like uh, the Brazilian dictatorship that took place between 64 and 85, he historically supports a big government that directs economic activity and directs the marketplace towards its strategic interests. That's what the Brazilian military dictatorship did. And he has spent his whole political career defending both the dictatorship and the ideals that uh, 
are represented by such regime. However, he was alive during this this last presidential campaign with uh, uh, Minister Gadges, who who is a Chicago educated economist and who was making uh, both historically and during the campaign many uh, pro-market proposals and pro-free market uh, uh, strategies, right? So in a sense, we had this big question mark and there was this big tension in the government between the nationalists, the military, and the more right-wing ideologues and the free market economists. So we didn't know exactly what was going to play out. Uh, some people expected gadgets to have superpowers and have a lot of say uh, regarding the, the economic policy of the government. Some of that materialized, but I think as we're going to get to that later, uh, there are still some parts of economic policymaking in which that tension actually comes about. So yes, the government is a sort of ideological patchwork. We have the military officers, the president's sons, the libertarian economists, the anti-globalists, big agro. And these groups are not often aligned and sometimes even have conflicting interests. Who has the upper hand after year one? In what regards economic policy, I think uh, Gadget's team uh, took the lead and in, in, in the most important elements of economic policymaking, uh, the Minister of the Economy, uh, led by Minister Gadges, actually took over and, you know, led the government into its path, right? So, so the biggest challenge was, of course, pension reform. And we can get into that uh, later if you want, but uh, it was something that was ongoing from the previous administration but that the government decided to, to face in its first minute, from its first minute, and it managed to, to go forth and, and approve a big pension reform. Uh, and there are some other challenges such as tax reform, administrative reform, and trade reform that are still ongoing. And I think in different elements of this second round of reforms, there is bigger attention. So in the first moment regarding pension reform, there was such a consensus in the economic team that that was, that was the most important challenge facing the administration that I think the more ide ideological elements of, of the government, uh, they stepped aside and let the economists do their job. But there might be some uh, struggles ahead with the other kinds of, of reforms that uh, Minister Gaddis' team has to face. And I think we've seen that in the past. Uh, some proposals for tax reform that were first announced by the economic team and then uh, denounced and decried by President Bolsonaro. And I think in different elements of policymaking, we're going to see that challenge ahead. The government managed to pass the core point of its agenda against all odds, we could say. The president never developed a true coalition. He depended on Congress to approve the reform and benefited from a change of public perception around the proposal. Until a few years ago, pension reform would be a dirty word. But in 2019, it seemed as if people were on board with it. What changed? I think this effort for pension reform is something that uh, is, was an ongoing effort with the previous administration. 
uh, President Temer's team, uh, they and Minister Meirelles, they they put a lot of effort into convincing the general public and members of parliament that pension reform was absolutely necessary for the, you know, fiscal soundness of the of the federal government. And most, both members of par parliament and the general public, they they understood that. I think we can see in post public opinion moving from being against it to to being for it. I think part of the communication effort was trying to highlight the fact that especially retired public servants, they had outsized benefits that didn't really match the benefits uh, and, 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 you know, the, the pensions and other uh, benefits, the non-pension benefits that, as compared to the general public. And that communication effort paid off. Uh, I think the Congress also bought the the necessity of a pension reform, and I think that's illustrated by the fact that uh, the the president of the the chairman of the house uh, he basically you know led the whole process of pension reform through Congress through the lower house and and it it went relatively smoothly because a lot of the you know politicking effort was already being made by the previous administration. It's interesting you mentioned the Tamir administration. I mean, you would know it well, you were there. But the main points of this administration markets have praised are, one, the pension reform we just talked about, and two, giving continuity to privatizations kicked off by the Tamir administration. So could we say that the Bolsonaro era is, economically speaking, Tamir 2.0? Well, uh, what I would say, maybe the two words would be continuity matters, right? We've seen that before in Brazil, right? One of the, the, the most important positive parts of the first PT administration under President Lula was the fact that the economic policies that were set forth during the Cardozo administration were, you know, they, they weren't ripped off, but they were rather kept on during the Lula administration. And we all know that the first administration of President Lula was a relative, you know, was a, a big economic success in terms of how the government ran the economy back then. And I think we're seeing something similar right now, both in terms of like who, who stayed in the government. So we know that very competent people like uh, Secretary uh, Almeida, Mansueto Almeida, who was part of the Temer administration, he's still part of the government right now, uh, and some other people who were very competent and praised people in the Temer administration, they stayed in the government. And I think in terms of uh, policymaking, uh, there, was, there is a large continuity between the policies set forth under President Temer and the, the policies that were, are being pursued right now. And, and that's something that is not uh, trivial, and it's something that's important, and it's something that's good, and explains part of the success that we're observing in terms of policymaking of the economic team of, of President Bolsonaro now. Uh, so I, I don't think it, this is something that we should criticize in the current administration, but rather to recognize the fact that instead of trying to start everything from scratch, they were able to recognize that some very important elements of policymaking were already underway and they could hit the ground running 
by simply continuing those efforts rather than trying to restart everything from zero. The economy ministry has presented a very bold bill to reshape the Brazilian state. But 2020 is an electoral year in Brazil and we have municipal elections. Do you think there will be political momentum for the government to continue to approve its agenda? Uh, well, I think there are many elements to consider here. Uh, one, as we said, pension reform was done. That was an important uh, victory for the government, even though it was uh, an ongoing effort uh, from before. I think the three big reforms are had would be the one you just mentioned. Uh, so uh, public service reform or administrative reform. Uh, the other one would be tax reform. And I think there is an ongoing effort in Congress to, to move forward this tax reform. And the third one would be trade reform. There was some movement in those areas as well in this first year. Uh, tax reform was certainly the, the biggest failure of this, of this administration. Not only there, were, there was, uh, you know, diverging opinions between the president and the economic team in public, but the government, the administration didn't even present its plan for tax reform in Congress. And Congress took over this effort to move forward with an independent proposal for tax reform. Uh, trade was initially a big success in the sense that, again, it was an ongoing effort with the Temer administration in trying to sign the, the free trade deal uh, between Mercosur and the European Union. But there was a stall in the liberalizing and, uh, the, the economy, opening up for trade and lowering uh, tariff barriers. That was uh, an idea for this uh, current administration. And that's mostly because uh, I think the president himself is opposed to the idea of free trade. I'm not sure if he, because he's being influenced by President Trump or because he is starting to have some pol political connections with, uh, you know, uh, the Chamber of Commerce in, in Portuguese would be C CNE and Fiesp, the, which are like the business unions, so to speak. And so this will be, so in, in this sense, this kind of reform will be very hard in an electoral year. If I asked you to grade the Bolsonaro administration after year one, what would you say? Certainly not an A+, plus because even though we have been in this steady but very slow recovery since, 2000, uh, since the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, it is still the slowest recovery that we, we had. The, the recovery could have been much faster. Uh, there is a feeling that much more could have been done, and it wasn't. So in a sense, it is certainly a, a disappointment. So certainly not an A, but maybe let's give this administration a, a B or a B- minus for this first year. A B. Carlos, thank you very much. After the break, we analyze what the president has done on the political front. Hi, I'm Paulo Sotero, director of the Brazil Institute at the Wilson Center a renowned think tank based in Washington and a partner of the Brazilian Report. The Brazilian Report is a valuable partner of the Brazil Institute. The report's content, shared in our website, is well-researched, comprehensive and clearly presented. 
It deals with complex problems of public policy that challenges Brazil to add quality to its economy and society. Claudio Couto is a political scientist at Fundação Getúlio Vargas and writes at the Brazilian Report. Claudio, I remember we were together in an event at the University of São Paulo back in July 2017. I had just written this op-ed listing the reasons why I thought Bolsonaro had a realistic shot at the presidency. And I remember you didn't agree with me, at least not at the time. So my first question to you is... When did you change your mind? When did you start seeing Bolsonaro as Brazil's next president? Well, I think that I first realized in the second semester of 2017, perhaps sometime after our meeting. Uh, and uh, the, the sign of for me was the, 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 the rising position of Bolsonaro at the polls. Since Bolsonaro was getting better and better uh, in the voters' intention to, to vote for him, Uh, I consider that it will be a, a real possibility to Bolsonaro to, for Bolsonaro to win the elections in 2018. And when Bolsonaro wins, what comes to your mind? I mean, what were you expecting? I was really afraid about the possibility of an administration Bolsonaro to become an authoritarian one, to become an authoritarian government, to uh, uh, challenge the political institutions of the uh, Brazilian democracy in order to destroy them and in order to build uh, an hegemonic administration. And I think that Bolsonaro is really trying to do that. Uh, one thing is to try, the other thing is to uh, uh, achieve such a, such a goal. Uh, and why that? Because I think that the Brazilian political institutions they are able to uh, react to Bolsonaro and at least until now to resist to Bolsonaro attacks and to Bolsonaro attempts to uh, to destroy them, to, to collapse them. For those who don't follow the Bolsonaro administration very closely, can you explain why do you say the president constantly challenges democratic institutions? I think that we have several uh, situations that can be considered together. For example, at the administrative level, in what regards the competences, the uh, capacities of the executive branch, what we see is the Bolsonaro's administration uh, really destroying uh, the capacity of the Brazilian state to have policies that regard pluralism, that regard uh, different perspectives, that regard uh, even the survival of some different cultures inside the Brazilian society and cultures that require the support of the Brazilian administration through uh, public policies. For example, uh, when we see what Bolsonaro makes with the environmental sector in Brazil, well, it's not only an attempt. Bolsonaro is taken from uh, the agencies that are responsible for the environmental fiscalization, for the environmental controls, the capacity to act. Uh, they lose authority, civil servants are removed for their positions because they do their work. Uh, they have uh, conversations with people that don't respect the law in what regards environment, and they provide support to these guys 
they in some sense tell them well you can do what you want because you won't be supervised by this administration because things are changing right now this is just one example uh, in other cases the the attacks that the bolsonaro's administrations uh, may administration makes against uh, the culture in brazil for example uh, uh, appointing people for agencies that are responsible for arts, for culture, for science, uh, that have nothing to do with the, 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 the goals, with the, the uh, 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 mission of those agencies. And for example, you put uh, uh, in an agency that is responsible for uh, protecting the legacy of the Brazilian African, the African Brazilians, a person, who is against the black movement, who is against the legacy of the African Brazilians. And this is an example of what Bolsonaro makes in order uh, uh, to destroy uh, the, the, the political institutions in Brazil. And in this case, the institutions that are responsible for implementing public policies and for the continuity of long-term public policies in Brazil. In what regard, his relationship with the other branches of government, the, the, the legislature and the judiciary, what we see is Bolsonaro and his allies promoting attacks on the streets against these institutions. Bolsonaro resembles to do that, but at the same time, he shows his support to the, the, the demonstrations that claim for the changes of justices at the Supreme Court or for the removal, for closing the Congress and things like that. Uh, he doesn't have himself directly an action to make this possible to to close the congress or to 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 uh, remove justices but uh, what he does is to support openly the demonstrators that require such a kind of action like you said it has been a very contentious year what can we expect for the next three years or better yet how do you see 2020 shaping up to be uh, the political support that Bolsonaro has in the population as a whole now is the lowest political support that the president used to have in Brazil since the polls are, are, are performed uh, in his first year. Never a president had such a lower, low support as Bolsonaro had at this moment. On the other hand, it's curious that he has a, 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 a considerable support and a very resilient support of something about one-third of the population. One-third, 30% of the population that really support Bolsonaro, it doesn't matter what. But what you see is that the image of Brazil is the worst we had perhaps in decades. I, I even don't believe that we ever had such a bad perspective from outside when people look at Brazil and we are becoming a, a kind of barriers at the international uh, uh, environment and inside the country at domestic policy when we look at the relationship between the, the executive branch and the congress what you see is the worst performance of a president in years in brazil what is the best indicator to show that when you look at the provisional measures that is the decrees that when enacted are uh, have immediate effect as laws uh, in, in this administration we see a number of provisional measures that uh, uh, expire that we have never seen in, during Brazilian administrations. Claudio, you are a professor, so I will ask you to grade the Bolsonaro administration. Does it get a pass mark? 
it, it, <laughs> it depends on the uh, on the matter. But uh, I believe that as a whole, I would grade this administration with a zero because I think that they deserve a zero. Uh, perhaps in terms of uh, final uh, 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 results, in terms of, for example, passing some irrelevant bills like the pension system reform, perhaps he would receive a better grade. But this is only one point and a point that has much more to do with uh, the behavior of the Congress and the, 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 the intention of the Congress to pass some, some, uh, uh, some policies that are congruent with the Congress intentions, with the majority of the Congress intentions, than with the capacity of the, this administration to obtain political support from the Congress to its own policies. And this is why I believe that considering the, 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 the whole job, what we have is an administration that deserves a zero. Claudio, thank you very much. If you want more information about how the Bolsonaro administration finished its first year, go to brazilian.report and download our free of charge ebook. The ebook is split into four sections: politics, economics, foreign affairs, and the environment. And of course, for the best content about Brazil in English, subscribe to brazilian.report. We get a lot of people saying they love our podcast and the best way to support this show is by subscribing to our website, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. And this is our last episode of 2019. Thanks for sticking with us for the whole year long. We're taking some well-deserved vacations, but don't worry. Our website will continue with daily exclusive content about Brazil. So, happy holidays from the Brazilian Reports newsroom. We'll see you in 2020. Cheers. Cheers.